Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we are looking and listening with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of Scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. Let's go. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think I've probably heard these words every Good Friday my entire life, probably even before I have the ability to recollect it. Um, (laughs) And I don't know about you, Daniel, but for me, I was taught my whole life that Jesus cries this line out because in this moment he's taken on the sin of the world and the the father can no longer bear to look at Jesus because he can't bear to be in the presence of sin. And and so then there's this theology that goes with that, that for the first time in his eternal life, Jesus was separated from God. The father and the pain was too much. And this line was, I mean, it was used as the evidence that Jesus was taking on our sin. But more recently, I... I've begun to kind of see how misguided that might be, um, primarily because what I've been learning about the historical context of Scripture and the way that Jesus tends to engage in the Old Testament. And so in case you didn't already know this, Jesus is quoting Scripture in this moment. And so it isn't some random line that he's just screaming out in pain and anguish. It's actually calculated and probably a lot deeper and more meaningful than we realize. Wait, you think it's calculated? Well, I mean, calculated maybe has a negative... (laughs) negative impact but like i think jesus knows what he's doing it's not just like he's not just screaming out in pain i think we disagree with each other oh you do okay Okay. keep going no no keep going okay so here's the reason why um i don't remember i was trying to figure out where i heard this or read this and i couldn't find it out so i apologize for plagiarizing possibly in this moment but during jesus's day it was common practice for rabbis to say just the beginning line of a psalm knowing that the audience would fill it in the blanks. They would know the rest of the psalm in the same way that we know. We know words to songs. So like a silly example, if I say stop, collaborate, and listen. Ice is back. Yeah. With it, a brand new invention or addition? Addition. Addition. But anybody in our age group knows immediately the next line and the chorus and the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't remember all the lyrics at this point in life because, you know, we're getting that forgetful. Like a challenge. But... But we, you say the first line and we know what comes next. We know the rest of the, the context. And that's, I think, what Jesus is doing here. So that's maybe why I say calculated, because I think when Jesus says this line, it isn't just some random thing he's crying out. Like he has the intention that people will know the rest of the psalm. Uh, uh, can I? Yeah. Okay, so I don't take any issue with calculated. I right, Calculated is just... It's neutral, right? Uh, the maybe a, a if for people who would have negative feelings about the word uh, intentional would be a good word, right? Yeah. So I, I don't have any issues with that. I think that is a huge part of what Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is awake and he's living with intention. So that's for me. It's the idea, um, like like proof texting, mm-hmm. like uh, like we take the phrase "He's come to fulfill the scriptures" as meaning. Like almost there's a a box of a, a, there's a whole list of check boxes, and that if Jesus can tick all the boxes, then he is the Messiah. And if he leaves a box unticked, he's a false Messiah or something along those lines, right? Like it's a 
it's it's just a it's a it's a motion it's a, a thing so and i don't think you're proof texting or right i just ugh, proof texting like trying to anyways so i was thinking i think about this way and i actually have this written down because right a little bit of prep for the thing not too much prep mm-hmm. not too little is that he's not quoting or proofing he's embodying oh and and um and he's and the lines are blurred because i agree with you he's not it's not just him saying you know he, it's not um when you you hit your thumb with a hammer and you cry out yes <laughs> right yeah. That's, yeah. that's not what's happening yeah um but it's not not what's happening he's saying my god my god why have you forsaken me because he he is so formed by the scripture by this story i mean he quotes the psalms almost as you know like the psalms come up all the time in the new testament i mm-hmm. think it's it's the psalms and isaiah are the most deuteronomy deuteronomy as well yeah yeah, yeah. um so so i think about it as him like embodying it and that and this moves maybe quicker into the psalm so i'll say it and then i'll pull it back but like emotional truth is other sometimes than like like fixed physical real truth so sometimes our inner and our outer realities they overlap and sometimes they don't so you've got him saying my god my god why have you forsaken me doesn't mean god has forsaken jesus but he feels forsaken or he looks forsaken or this is a you know it's deep pain and of course he's fully human and fully god so he's got both things happening where you know when we're in pain we're like why am i in pain god because you must be mad at me so but i don't think i don't yeah what do you think yes but i don't i don't know if you're saying this but i don't think that jesus is mad like why are you mad at me god oh i don't think yeah i don't i don't think that either i think there's actually more hope in in this statement than we realize and and then we get to that by looking at the rest of psalm 22 so and that's where i'm tracking with you 100 percent, right like he he says we say a line and all of that is running through his head right he knows the psalms right it's not like us where we like the one line we're like oh why have you forsaken me jesus god left jesus and the psalm proves it yeah well keep reading keep reading so let's keep reading (laughs) okay do you want to read maybe verses one through six well yeah but uh i want to i want to i want to start off with a curveball okay let's go so the 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 um the oh god what do they call them the things at the front end the inscriptions of the psalms yes so you get into the like the early uh church writings and there is a school of thought that takes these inscriptions seriously and if you want to go you know if you look in your bible you'll see that most english translations have almost like pedestrian like to the leader a psalm of david right it's mm-hmm. it's like instructions uh you'd see a sheet of music and it'd be like crescendo decrescendo four four that way but the translations from hebrew into greek into syriac and then also i've got a i've got a hebrew one in front of me they take these inscriptions and they and they read them not like literally practically but they add meaning to them mm-hmm. so the, the the Septuagint, the Greek translations of the scripture predating, you know, Jesus by a couple hundred years. What's the first phrase you've got there? To the leader? Is that Yeah, the... I have, I have for the leader. So the 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 Greek will translate that the leader there is the telos. So to the end or to the fulfillment or to the completion. So this psalm is for mm. for the end or for the completion. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Because what's the next line that, you know, like in that Jesus on the cross says is it is finished. finished. So you've got that whole thing. But then there's variations on the, the Septuagint that will translate it not as finish or completion, but to the victory. Oh. And then Rabbi Raphael Samuel. Is that right? Yeah. Samson, Raphael Hirsch. Oh, I love this guy. 
he um he translates also this the inscription this way to him who grants victory upon the strengthening power of day's dawning so you've got this way in which this inscription if you're reading it from a certain perspective and there is a deep history here it's telling us what this is what this psalm is about yeah it's not right it's not just pedestrian information it's to the end or the completion or the victory oh man that's i mean especially as we get deeper into this psalm i think that's going to become more meaningful right yeah okay and then there's one more yeah go for it so then the next line what do you have for to the leader and then it's according to what i have in well okay in one translation i have to be sung to the tune of doe of the dawn yep um but in hebrew it says on ayelith ha shahar so deer or or Mm -hmm. dawn or uh yeah Yeah. and then the next phrase so again this is Mm -hmm. this is functioning uh in the septuagint in the syriac and also in with rabbi hirsch here um and i'm going to read from jerome because jerome just encapsulates it perfectly jerome says at daybreak on the third day we were filled with your kindness when the sun rose from the dead in the evening he descended for our sake into the shadows of death to draw us forth at daybreak accordingly at the hour of dawn we experience the fullness of your kindness and it is in this sense that psalm 22 is entitled for the protection at dawn that's how the the septuagint has it for the protection at at dawn your kindness has always been manifest to your faithful servants and it has never ever been so clear and lavish as when the redeemer of all rose from uh rose from the dead for the salvation of each and every one at daybreak i literally have goosebumps (laughs) that Okay. That is so good. And there, one teeny yeah. other thing, because there's this part of me that's skeptical or it's like, okay, that's a Christian reading it, right? Like it's taking it and it's doing something with it that it's not. But Rabbi Hirsch, who's 1800s, um, he, 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 his inscription is... And not is, Christian. He's yeah, Jewish. Right. Yeah. To him who grants victory upon the strengthening power of day's dawning. So this is a valid translation of the Hebrew yeah. um, into all these things. And it's anyways, it's just, Yeah. I get that there's a hesitancy to want to over-Christianize the Old Testament scriptures and that's good and cautious for us to be mindful of what they would have meant in their own context and pre-Jesus. But we are also, I mean, the whole road to Emmaus thing is, you know, God, Jesus is saying, I'm in all of this. And so it's not wrong for us to also look back and see the ways that Jesus is there um, in addition to the ways that he's not, not to say that he's not, but... It can be read both ways, and it should be read both ways. Yeah, and that's okay. I I needed to see Hirsch say this because it went okay. This isn't like some sort of um, attempt to to wipe away right the the Jewishness or the Hebrew or like of the of the Psalm. Right. No, this is Jesus fulfilling it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. I'm done with the inscriptions. Okay. Well, that was really fun. <laughs> so. I'm going to read from, I don't even know actually which translation this is that I get from the interlinear, um, but I think it's so cool. So I'm going to read that one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my roaring. My Elohim, I am calling by day, yet you are not answering, and by night, 
yet there is still no stillness for me. But you are holy, the one dwelling among the praises of Israel. In, your, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and they escaped. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. What do you got? Um, well, what I love is the, why are you so far from delivering me? Or a different way, the, the one that I just read, far from salvation are the words of my roaring. And that word for delivering me or salvation is Yeshua, which is Jesus's name. Because his name means the salvation or deliverance of God. And I was looking... Um, I feel like there's a lot of Egypt language in these first yes. few verses. Um, and this is the same word in Exodus 14, right before the crossing over the Red Sea, when Moses says, fear not, stand still, and you will see the Yeshua of mm. God, the deliverance of the salvation of God, um, right before they're fully um, delivered from the hands of Egypt. And then we've got a whole night and day thing, which is reminiscent of the cloud by day and the fire by night. And how the the fathers, their ancestors, trusted in God, and He rescued them. Mm. They cried out. That's the whole beginning of Exodus, right? They cried out, and it didn't feel like God was listening at first, but He was. Ugh. Um. Wow. One of one of my translations says they. To you they cried out and they escaped in you. They trusted and were not disappointed. Mm. So it's like in the same stanza that he's saying, why have you forsaken me? He's also pointing to this. But when we trust in you, we won't be disappointed. So he doesn't actually, like David, if David was the one who wrote this psalm, which is who it's attributed to, there's a pain and a feeling of desperation that causes him to cry out. But he doesn't actually believe that God's abandoned him. It just feels that way in the moment. Right. Yeah, it's it's um it's true what he's what when Jesus says this on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's true. Emotionally, in inner, right? You get the stuff from the garden where he's praying, uh take this cup from me. Mhm. Right, he's crying out, and he's asking for it to to be another way. And you see, you see, it. It's so. I don't know how to quite. Um, I don't know how to quite label what is happening, but it's it's well ambivalent. Is maybe a, a word for it. Uh, sometimes pe- I say ambivalent. People think I mean indifferent, and ambivalent actually means you can you feel two different it's two different things simultaneously. Yeah, and that's what I. One of the things that comes out for me here is that it is Jesus's joy, which is a strange thing to do this, to call this, but it's also, um, he doesn't, this is painful, yeah. just like us, just like us. When when Christ was in pain, he wanted to not be in pain. Yeah. Hmm. And if we've lived long enough on this planet, we know what it feels like to both trust in God and trust in the hope, but also feel the pain of abandonment in the moment. And that we can believe that God's not abandoning us and yet feel like it in the moment. Right. 
there's that uh, there's two words here the, the weirdest words stick out to me right mm-hmm. yet you are holy the start of verse three what did you have uh mm. But you are holy. Okay, but right, like so. These are like I think of them as like hinge words, right? It's, it's or there's a fork in the road. So it's the yet or the but at the beginning of verse three, and then that last line in five. Uh, to you they were cried and were saved. Okay, but then in you they trusted and were not put to shame. And it's, and we like that's a ver- that's a chunk where you have to re- like you realize the pop, the the hard difficulty of the moment. Mm-hmm. It's. If you're trusting so that you're not put to shame, there's risk, <laughs> or there's a gap, or that you, or you're trusting, you're 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 willing to step or continue when you're not sure it's going to work out or how yeah. it's going to work out, and it's so curious how faith and certainty are just they're they're conflated with each other and they're not. Faith is not certainty. No. Right. Faith is well. I'm putting all my money on red. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to have faith for something I'm certain of. Yeah. What do you have? Certainty. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take any trust for me to sit in a chair because I like, I'm confident the chair. I mean, I guess there could, it could be broken, <laughs> but if I just tested the chair out, it doesn't take any faith for me to sit down in it. Right. So, Okay. If we go back to what you said, at the, if we go back to what you said at the beginning, mm-hmm. where you were talking about how the first line, right? It's this for expediency. It saves some some uh, some version of ink on some some sort of you know paper, whatever it was originally. There's a you, you use the first part of a verse or a, a chunk, and you're expected or anticipated to know what came before and to know what came after. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken?" And what's being brought up into the entire conversation is the entirety of Psalm 22. Yeah. And what I want to say, maybe with a fine, a finer point than what maybe you were hinting at, is we're stinking lazy readers. Yeah. We we just read it and we go, oh. Jesus feels for, and we miss the context because we a don't understand the genre or what how scripture mm-hmm. how scripture can function, and there's that's a whole conversation. But also because it's just fast, we were like, okay, so so this but is it, lazy reading. I don't, but I I want to be more forgiving of us than that because it's how we were taught. Like we weren't taught to read it more deeply. We weren't taught to look for the cross reference. Mm. Um. We weren't, I mean, in my, in my background, I wasn't really taught to read the Old Testament. We just were expected to know some of the big stories sure. um, that you learned in Sunday school and were not told in a sequential matter so that we knew the whole big story of the people. We just yeah. knew the individual stories and we didn't, um, we didn't interact with the scriptures as much as we, like in the Old Testament scriptures, as much as people of Jesus' day would have, certainly. That's all um, they had. That's all they had. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't know where it happened along the line that we were, that we got lazy. And so it's not that we aren't lazy, but it's also that we don't know how to do better because we weren't taught to do better. Right. We think we're reading a, a manual or a textbook. Yeah. That's why we both would highly recommend a cross-reference Bible. Right. Because... <laughs> We don't always know when Jesus is quoting scripture unless some smart person has done the work for us. <laughs> well, okay. So exactly what you just said, right? Uh, why are you so far away from from um, 
the words of my groaning or my roaring. Mm -hmm. It's like, and you had already talked about this, like Exodus 2. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery, under their oppression, and cried out. And out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered. God's always hearing. God's always remembering. We are like we are written on the palm of God's hand. Yeah. And though it feels like, seems like, though the reality is something other than what we want, yet we trust. Right. And we're not put to shame. The valley of tears is the wellspring of ice. Six through eight is our next little chunk. All right. Uh, um, wow. And what I kind of see here is this moves more towards a personal lament at this point. Hmm. Like, I, I think... So David, if we're, we'll just pretend that David wrote it. We don't know. It's attributed to David. So we'll just go with that. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Can I go back to the inscription thing? Yeah. I skipped this one because I just, but now that we're talking about it. So to David, uh, David can be translated as beloved or David means beloved. And if you play with the word, it's a psalm of belovedness. So to the victory, the psalm of belovedness Mm -hmm. at, at, at the dawn. Yeah. And and just because you mentioned it, the Peshitta, the Syriac version, has as the inscription for this, a psalm of David when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. So they situate Psalm 22 as being connected to that story. Yeah. Their inscription is different. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'll read these verses. So, but I am a worm, less than human, scorned by men, despised by people, all who see me mock me. They curl their lips. They shake their heads. Let him commit himself to the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him save him, for he is pleased with him. That maybe should sound familiar. <laughs> um, so in Matthew twenty-seven forty-two, yeah, they're on the Jesus is on the cross. He saved others. Yeah, they scoffed but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted God. Let God show his approval by delivering him. That's like, it's the same lines. Right. He has trusted God. I read he has committed himself to the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him save him for he is pleased. It's the same language. And then what's Jesus's response? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They quote, they actually quote Psalm 22 before he does. Uh, I, can I take, can I spin? Yeah, spin. So, so 43, right? He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he wants to. He said, I'm God's son. That's where you are, right? 27, yeah. 43. Yep. He saved others. He cannot save himself. I think this is our sentiment now. I think so deeply rooted in Western uh, privileged 
culture, whatever you want to call the world we live in, mm-hmm. where we are reversed to pain and suffering, where we think pain and suffering is an indication of God's frustration or being upset with us. We are these people that stand at the cross and we say, listen, if you're really the son of God, then you will stop this. But you have Jesus who's going the exact opposite direction. He says, actually, this is how you think the world works or how you think cre- creation works, how the cosmos has been ordered. The shape of things is cross-shaped. It's not, Yeah. it's it's actually going up. <laughs> uh, we, I uh, was the reading for yesterday for Tuesday, so this is Wednesday. So there you go. It's Wednesday mm-hmm. of Holy Week. Um, the the hour has come for the Son of Man to be lift uh, to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life, uh, those who love their life, lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it forever and then he continues and he says uh the voice speaks from heaven says this is my son and when i am lifted up from the earth i will draw all people to myself when's he going to be lifted up from the earth yeah on the cross yeah it's just different than (laughs) some pretty good stuff i mean this is why i continue to come back to scripture yeah because it Make sense of my reality. Right. I was wondering as I read this this week, just thinking, is Jesus saying that, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In response to them saying, like mocking him and saying these lines that, you know, if you trust God and if you supposedly are God, save yourself, come off the cross. And his response is to point them back to Psalm 22. So they're mocking him. They're verse 7 and 8. Yep. Seven, they're they're twenty. Psalm 22, 7 through 8. Him, all who see me mock me. They make mouth at me. They shake their head. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. And, you, and you're saying, yeah. And when they say this to Jesus, he goes, verse 7 and 8. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah. Let's Go to verse 1. Do the whole thing. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Right? And he's, yeah. Oh, he's calling out for Elijah. Like magic words. Like that's, It's uh, like they didn't get it. Like they had, it was the clue was all there for them. Like, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And which is even more significant if you take into consideration the title that you talked about of the song of the dawn and the victory and all that stuff that Jesus is like, you guys, like, it's here for you to see. Right. If you're paying attention, I'm, I have given you all the clues for what's going on here. If you will just listen. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Should we keep going? Or yeah, read? let's keep going. Okay, I'll, let me read. Yet it was you, this is verse nine, yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. What do you see there? Trouble near, no one to help. I mean, it's like feels like half of life. Uh... I spent a lot of time in this this portion, and one of the things I kept bumping into was this um, the history here of reading this as describing the, the trust in the terms of a newborn. Mm. So there's a way in which we're we're born and we're cared for, right? Like the, the humans are the the most helpless <laughs> of yeah. the most helpless, uh, you know, creatures. We're born if nobody takes care. If you abandon a baby, human, it will die. Yeah, it has 
zero percent chance of surviving if it is abandoned it will not survive if it is abandoned it will not survive this is i mean i just kept going back to like this is not jesus being abandoned by god there's something else going on here but then also who's at the cross with him yeah his mother mother so he is not being abandoned here um he is not being abandoned here but trouble is near and there's no one to help so he feels all of these things or he's experiencing all of these things Mm -hmm. but it's but there's this way in which the psalm looks back and says how we began is an indicator of how we can continue we are just Mm -hmm. as helpless and help is just as present yeah i love how i feel like there's a shift and a contrast from verse one to verse 12 because now he's saying do not be far from me mm-hmm. you have verse 12 is for do not i'm sorry it's not it's, oh, okay okay it's let me explain so in the <laughs> i'm using the jps translation sure. and the verses are different in some places and not in others and i was trying to do a better job yeah. about no, no, making no them straight no but it's a verse it's a verse off yep because they count they the inscription count as one verse yeah. um so it's actually 11 in our translations right yeah yeah um do not be far from me because I just, I feel like there's this, we're moving more towards hope. So like we've got, do not abandon me at the start, but now it's a, do not be far from me. Mm. So he's no longer feeling as abandoned, but he's just, he's asking for his presence to be felt. It's really interesting how we've shifted. Mm-hmm. We've like, we have fully embraced the idea that this Psalm is talking about Jesus. Like, like, like we're, we're reading it through that lens and we we moved uh into it like almost naturally yeah i think it's good yeah it's it but it just i just noticed it like oh we we fully embraced this is christ fulfilling this christ filling this psalm like right like i imagine these words as like balloons and like he fills them right blows life and in psalm in in this moment, in the end of the gospel, Psalm 22 makes its most, makes its most sense. And, yeah. and, you know, probably in the Absalom store, if we, we crossed it there, we'd probably go, oh. I think this Psalm is the story of Israel because there's one, there's a way of reading this as the Israelites in Egypt and their salvation from Egypt. And there's, there's clear things that point towards the Egypt. And I think when David's writing it, he has that in mind. He's looking at the past this whole the first section especially so there it's there's a way of reading it where it's israel in egypt there's a way of reason reading it that it's david who is the messiah at that time the anointed one in his own life and then there's a way of reading it with as jesus and i think so well david is trying to connect himself to the story of the whole of israel and what he's doing jesus is by grab, by grabbing onto this psalm specifically he's identifying both with israel and with david and then we get to see the the full the fullness of what this psalm is for mm. is only fully revealed when Jesus comes into the picture but it's it's the beginning to the end of Israel's story in one sense i love it and that makes total sense right because it's we don't have to go oh this is true of christ or this is true of absalom and even like this is true of Israel, I think what we can do is go, this is true of humanity. Yeah. This is hu- this like, this is humanity psalm. Yeah. And I think that's probably true for all scripture, but right, like this, we can find our humanity, our purpose, who we are, yeah. how life works in this, 
in yeah. this moment. Yeah. When we, and when we're in a dark and lonely place, we can go to this psalm too because it reminds us that when we feel abandoned, we're actually not. And we'll, we'll I hopefully feel that more when we get to the end. But it, right. And if you and if your way is not the way of the cross, if your way is the way of the sword, then this is not describing your reality. Yes. Right. So we have we have how we respond to this as sort of a way of like an indicator of how we are, who we are, who we're formed to be. Yeah. Uh, which is for me, uh, I don't want to push, but it's perfect segue into the next Let's one. Let's go. Okay. Uh, will you read it from your fancy translation? Oh, yeah. Let me get there. Sorry. I got, just got to click a little bit. Many young bulls surround me, sturdy ones of Bashan. They compass about me. They open their mouth wide against me like a lion raving and roaring. Like water, I am poured out and all my bones are disjointed. My heart has become like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My vigor is dried up like earthenware and my tongue clings to my jaws. To the soil of death you bring me low. For curs have surrounded me. The crowd of evildoers has encompassed me. They dig into my hands and feet. You can also translate that as pierced. Mm. I number all my bones. They look, they all stare at me. They apportion my garments amongst themselves, and they cast a lot from my clothing. Mm. Okay, so I dug in on the, the, the bulls of Bashan. Oh, yeah? I was like, what is what is this all about? This is weird. So Bashan is of uncertain origin, right? It's uh, it's w- east of the Jordan. Uh, it's they talk about it's in Torah. It's in the five books. It's uh, there's a do you remember the king's name? Og. Yeah, Og of Bashan. So did you okay? Did you read about any of the midrash about Og of I Bashan? I did not go deep into the midrash. I just I I only briefly looked at to the bulls, but so Og is. Og is where we step into, okay, we, so, uh, uh, how do I say this the right way? When Jesus is using parables, he's using a standard method of teaching f- from his culture, his society, right? Like parables are everywhere in the Midrash. So, pa- right, like the parable is a familiar form, but also part of it is like um, maybe what we would call like tall tales. So, and they're they're true, but they're not tr- like true yeah so okay so og of bashan the midrash will will first find him in genesis 6 and they say the midrash there's a midrash that says that he was the only one to survive the flood besides noah and noah's family and that he survived by clinging to the side of of the ark (laughs) (laughs) right can you just imagine like okay i mean for months right right yep and he's a giant Okay. So he's, I mean, there's a, there's another story where, um, this is f- going fast forward where he's so tall that Moses jumps 10 feet in the air with a 10 foot sword and only gets him on the ankle <laughs> and then he falls over and whatever. Right. So you've got this way, but he, what he represents, oh, well, okay. And then there's in the story of Abram, uh, and when Lot gets captured in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the refugee who comes to tell Abram his nephew was captured is Og. Oh. <laughs> or Og. Og? Yeah, it's Og. Yeah. And, and he tells him because he knows Abraham, Abram is brave and will go to save. And he hopes he gets killed so that he can marry the beautiful Sarah. Sarah. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> okay. And it just so he keeps showing up. Og keeps showing up in the midrash as this constant enemy of the people. Yeah. Of this enemy that is working to destroy to end all that God's doing. He wants Og wants to snuff it out. Yeah. And so Og of Bashan uh, as I'm reading this I'm like what well, what this psalm is pulling out is that this is a confrontation with the great enemy that seeks to keep humanity Israel you know pick your um from true life from yeah. life from life with God from from participating in God's faithful promise so yeah. this way in which because you know if we take psalm 22 and we smack it on top of matthew and mark what we have is right the bulls of bashan are the are the soldiers of what rome rome i love seeing that the bashan is rome because like this is the section that people do go to when they look at psalm 22 of like oh this is Je- this is talking about jesus and the casting of lots for his clothes and things right. like that. I mean, the whole, and I mean, you definitely, if you just ignore that this is in the Psalms, you can definitely see that this is describing the crucifixion. And yet, it also feels relevant for, um, it also feels relevant for David. And David isn't physically dying in this moment because this is poetry. Like, it can right. still, like, with Jesus, it can refer to his actual death and what he went through. But for David, it can be what it felt like to be threatened and to have your life hanging in the balance. And you don't actually know if you're going to survive or not. Right. The bulls of Bashan are Og. They're Egypt. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. Absalom. It's Rome. It's uh, it's all of the things that try to kill the life of God. Yeah. Any more on that? Uh, no. I think I, that's so great. I <laughs> I feel like a lot of Christians would be hesitant to go look at Midrash to help us understand the New Testament better and, and the Old Testament better. But think about how much value we just added by understanding what Bashan means. And at my cursory look for Bashan was just like oh it just was like an ancient enemy across the Jordan and so you, which you can do stuff with that and look at the way that that interacted well, with well it literally was trying to stop them from entering the land entering the right. promise but and- there's so much more when you go to the Midrash even though we can laugh at a giant clinging to the ark and David jumping 10 feet in the air and only getting the calf like we can laugh at that but yet the imagery of what the Midrash is doing it, it, there's so much value added when we bring that into the discussion. And so, like, we, there's just so much more. And those stories, as ridiculous or as fan, I think I was trying to, like, figure out how to categorize them, right? You have, like, parables like Jesus tells yeah. that are in the Midrash. And then you have these, like, fantastical, like, tall tales kind of things. Like that Paul Bunyan type yeah, things. Right. Yeah. That, and, and you can't, don't dismiss them. Just recognize what they're meant to do. And here's right. what's I will never forget about Agha Vashan now that, right? Like, yeah. I will never forget that. And that's the thing that confronts. 
And it, the way into it, it's true. It keeps truthful to the original context in Numbers and Deuteronomy where you have this person, this king, trying to keep them from yeah. the life of God. Yeah. Ah, I know, but right? It's like you, you're like, mm, it's kind of. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. All right. The Valley of Tears is the wellspring of life. 19 through 22? Yeah. Okay. But you, O Lord, be not far off. My strength hasten to my aid. Save my life from the sword, my precious life from the clutches of a dog. Deliver me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, rescue me. Then I will proclaim your fame to my brethren. Praise you in the congregation. This section to me feels like it's just, it's the next step in moving towards God not having abandoned him. Because we have, um, again, a request for God to not be far off. And that means he knows he's not actually abandoned. He's just asking God to be close. I, uh, you know, one of the things that I think about quite a bit is how deeply we struggle to be people who pray. I don't, I haven't met a single person that's like, I got this. Uh, maybe, well. Because the people, the, the people who are really good at it don't, are, tend to be pretty humble. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, and we don't teach it. I mean, it is not taught. How to pray is not taught. You don't grow up. If you grow up in the church, you were not taught to pray. If anything, it's caught, which is not bad. I was I was taught to pray that whole like Thanksgiving sure. supplication. Yep. Whatever thing. Yep. But is it is, acts or something? Yeah, Adoration. Yeah. What's the C? Acts. Confession. Confession. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And supplication. Supplication. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. It's in my brain somewhere. Sure. Right. Like, you know, that's yeah. fine. But you've got two things in front of us that stare at us right in the face. The Jesus was asked, right? One of the only times he gives a straight answer is like, well, this is how you pray. How do you pray? I'll teach you how to pray. Yeah. And then we've got the book of Psalms, which is a curriculum. I mean, it's not a curriculum. It's more than that, but it's a curriculum. It's a prayer book. If you want to know how to pray, this is how we pray. This or this is how to pray, or this is a way to pray, or but then you get to the to the the three words we just talked about, right? You had the oh Lord, do not be far away, and that's like as you were saying, it was like that's a prayer. Yeah, don't be far, don't avoid me, don't be far, don't avoid me. And I actually think the truth is we're all far, and we're engaged far more often than we think we are. We just don't know it because we think it has to look or feel a certain formal way. But what you have here is don't be far away. Every time you think don't be far away, yeah. you're praying. You're praying the words of Psalm 22. Yeah. I um, Can I tell a little personal story? Okay. Um, this feels funny because I talked about my father's death a few weeks ago. Um, but when my father died, uh, I was angry at God. And um, as any probably 19 year old would be um the sudden death of their parent and um i didn't read my bible i think i mentioned this before and i didn't pray i'm using air quotes that you can't see um but i didn't pray in the way that i thought i had to during like probably for three months but when i came out the other side um i don't want to say it's not like i came out of my grief but i came like to the morning i think like I came through the darkness, the dark part of that. And I realized that I had probably been in more 
uh, the most in-depth conversation with God during that three months that I've ever been in my entire life, probably still to this day. And I wasn't touching my Bible and I wasn't praying in the way that I had been taught to pray because my prayers were like the Psalms in that moment. They were the deep anguish of my soul crying out to God. Even when I didn't recognize that I was crying out to God, I think I was in a constant conversation with him in a way that I didn't know was possible. I had read Psalms before that, but I I don't think I'd ever identified with some of the more deep groanings of the Psalms. Um, If I had to guess, I was probably bothered by them because we're just supposed to trust God and we're just, everything's supposed to be joyful and wonderful and we're just pretend that everything's fine. And it was then that I realized that some of these deep anguish where you're actually crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is the most true to humanity. And it doesn't actually mean that you don't think God is there. It's just the depth of your pain is crying out and God is present in that. Can I ask a couple questions? Mm -hmm. Ask them carefully. Yes. So you didn't know in the moment that what you were doing was praying. No. Because it didn't look like what you were taught prayer should look like. Correct. And that means you abandoned some formula that you had been taught for Mm -hmm. prayer, however helpful, whatever scaffolding or trellis it might have been. Yeah. And because you weren't reading scripture. You weren't, how you said, did you say in your Bible? Yeah. What a strange idiom I know. to think about. Like, what do you, like a super Christian. I'm holding language. my Bible and I'm like, let me get in it. it. I just think of the the guy from Austin Powers. I don't want to say his name. Like, in, my in my belly. <laughs> so did you recognize, you recognized it at some point? After. Like you woke up three months later and you recognized it? Or. You could say I woke up, but I think the the waking up was a slow waking up. It wasn't like I just woke up one morning and recognized all of it. It was just as I was coming out of the fog and the darkness of my grief um, and into a more, um, I don't know how to put it, but there's a way when you walk through deep grief, there's a, there's a darkness like where you're kind of walking through the, what feels like the dark night of the soul. And there comes a point, hopefully for us that the a new day dawns and we realize that it's not the end of everything mm-hmm. and that you you start moving forward in your new reality. Um I don't like the word moving on sure. because you never you never get over a grief like that. Um but you do learn to move forward with it. Right, cuz it's never in the past. Right, I carry that with me today and it's right. been 26 years mm-hmm. in just 2 weeks. Yeah, you don't you don't move away from grief. You just move in it. But yet there's it there's light and there's yep. love and there's there's hope and goodness that comes after. But you have to go through the darkness. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Um do you still carry that that way prayer transformed for you f- through that pain? And then as you process the pain and the grief and you carry it with you and you began to see prayer differently or it became more spacious or. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever returned to the old ways. You didn't. Do you forget now and then or is it like how how durable was that? Does that make sense? Like um, sometimes we learn things and we forget about and we got to wake up and be reminded or did that just like is it there? Yeah, I think I 
if you're asking, do I think about like every time do I pray? Do I think about that moment in my life and that That's season? No, I don't. But um, I think that letting go of the old way of praying and being with being with God, um, I let go of, and it never it never came back because the way I had experienced God in that time felt so much richer and truer than anything I had experienced before that. I didn't want to go back to the old way. So it changed it, you. It, yeah. It changed me at a molecular level, if you could say. No, that's... That, oh, yep. So I don't always think about that moment changing me. Yeah. But I've never been the same since. Do you... Have you... Um, do you think now ever, like, I don't... I'm not praying enough? Like, do you still... Oh, sure. Uh, okay. <clears throat> uh, this is Romans 8 just kept thinking about it and it really fits with the groaning the roaring right now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen (laughs) i love just how reasonable paul is here he's like (laughs) i mean i'm not calling you stupid but um but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience and likewise and this is this is where it's landed. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Mm-hmm. And God who searches the heart knows what is the in uh, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You were talking, and I was like, oh, it's yeah. the Spirit intercedes for us. Sometimes we don't have the word. Sometimes it's too deep for that. So we groan, yeah. and groaning is prayer. Yeah. And because prayer is life life before God, or it's face-to-faceness, or it's recognizing that God's ever-present with us, that's, that's prayer. Yeah. And when we're immature, we think we do these things to, like, quote-unquote, put it on. But, but as we grow, we realize... It wasn't ever God be present. It was God, help me be present to your presence. <laughs> right? Yeah. And in pain, that's that reality is so before us. It's the like the no atheists and foxholes sort of thing. It's it's just in front of us because we're so deeply in need and we know that there's only one who can help us. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we going? Sorry. So I had I had kind of two more sections. I had twenty three through twenty five, and then twenty six through thirty, as the final two sections. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a longer conversation. Yeah, but that's fine. Yep. People can stop listening when they want to. They can. Okay. Do you want to read the? Yeah, yeah. Next? Uh, from the horns of the wild oxen. Is that where you've got it? Um. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. You who fear. 23. You who fear God, praise him with songs proclaiming his mighty acts. All you children of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you children of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the lowliness of the poor, neither has he hid his countenance from them. And when he cried to him, he hearkened unto him. Of you is my praise in the great congregation. I will discharge my vows before them that fear him. The humble absorb it in themselves and are satisfied thereby. They praise God who seek after him. Therefore may your heart may therefore may your heart remain lively forever. I 
I love this part. For he did not scorn, he did not spurn the plea of the lowly. And then he did not hide his face from him. When he cried out to him, he listened. Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My child, I have not forsaken you. You got that word there too, in the front of verse 24, Yerah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right, we've talked about this a bunch, <clears throat> but when Elijah, mm-hmm. yeah, usually it's translated. When he feared, he ran in fear from Jezebel. Right. But Yerah also means see. So, he, um, in the actual verses, he feared for his life and so he ran. But there's a way of reading it that he saw for his soul so he ran he saw his life and he ran to his life he ran towards it yeah so almost any time that you see fear in scripture it is the same it's essentially the same root word as see to see so see and fear are deeply connected Mm. and it's a translation choice to choose fear or seeing Um, and I, I would argue that in most cases either one work well, right. They're right. It's this way in which it's not one or the other. It's both or it's, yeah. So if we train, change the word fear into wonder and literally like go, I wonder what's going to happen. Right. So you see something and you don't know what's going to happen. A, let's say a immature, a young, very reasonable, but, but the response of one who is not yet trusting is fear like mm-hmm. i'm scared of what's that doesn't mean you don't feel fear the unknown doesn't go make you nervous but as you grow i don't know as you mature as you move further into this life you become well how i would describe it for me is i become quicker at moving out of fear into curiosity right it's like yes. for me it's the two things alternate right i'm afraid and then i've got to move in from fear into curiosity like okay what's going to happen here my therapist reminds me constantly the unknown is neutral the unknown is neutral the unknown <laughs> is neutral <laughs> i i think of it too as the how we see how we perceive will indicate whether we're afraid or not mm-hmm. and so there is a way of seeing that leads to fear and there's a way of seeing that leads to life. Amen. I love this conversation because it's helping me just to take a deep dive contemplating these words. Mm-hmm. And I love, I need this to be true. I need it to be true that God does not despise or abhor the lowly. God doesn't hide God's face um, from them when they cry out. God listens to them. I, I need that to be true. Yeah. I am, yeah. I'm recognizing, you know, he, uh, neither has he hid his countenance from him, right? This is, uh, this is a comment on the ironic blessing from number six, yep. right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. Okay. So it's like, all right, so God looks at us and we are shining we're right because of it. But then it's like, no, we're going to take it even a step further. I have to go from the beginning of the Lord, the Lord lift up his countenance to you. This is a face-to-faceness, yeah. right? It's not just that God's like looking and God's like the sun and shining on all of creation, which, yes, God causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on everyone, but it's personal. It's a face-to-faceness that is deeply embedded in in what it means to be blessed and what it means to be God's people. So I needed to read this. I needed to... I wanted to remember that 
that when we when I go when I feel poor when I feel low it is again not God either it's not punishment but it is also not God doesn't look at me and gets like snobby yeah What do you have for verse 27? The humble absorb it is what I have. Do you have something? Let the lowly eat and be satisfied. Let all who seek the Lord praise him. Then this, I don't like this translation. Always be of good cheer. May your hearts live forever is always be of good cheer. Yes. Ooh. I know. It's a, You know, sometimes trans- translators get it right. And sometimes I don't think they always do. I used to be so mean to translators. And I'm just like, they got a I, tough job. I'll be. I, um, this other one I have says their hearts live for the future. Ugh. Yeah, therefore it could may be your forever. heart remain lively for, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like uh, the always be of cheer. I mean, maybe they're assuming it's an idiom of some sort that I'm not aware of, but the, I mean, literally the heart of you for the future. He shall live. Uh, yeah. The La heart odd. of you shall live for the future to for, or forever. To for, to, yeah. To eternity. Yeah. Ugh, that's so good. So. Well, and that... Yeah. That pushes to this next part. And again, yeah. we, we move into, you know, I think deeply, I don't want to say Christian. I don't, it's so interesting. I don't want to say that word only because, only because it, it's unclear what one means by that. And I don't want to say, oh, this is where, how we, right. This is our mm-hmm. social, the, but it's very Christ centered. It's Christ shaped. Yeah. This is Right. So the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek God shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live to eternity or to forever or for forever. And then all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust and I shall live for him. For posterity posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying, he has done it. It is finished. (laughs) The JPS says, for he has acted, which I love. Which brings us full circle to the beginning of the... um, the inscription right right that right. this is the the completion the telos right this is that's it this is it he has finished he has acted um, to the victory i um there's also in verse uh, 28 so um the kingship is the lords so it actually this other translation that I have says, for Yahweh's is the kingdom, mm. which should, should sound yours a little bit familiar. It's the Lord's prayer, for yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. For God's is the kingdom. I, I just, the victoriousness in this last little like section is so powerful. Mm. Yeah. How, uh, I agree, but how do you, how so? I, well, cause we move from this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me at the beginning where you're, you're, you're broken and desperate and feel completely alone. And then there's a section about trust, but then 
that's followed by I'm being mocked and despised and on the edge of death being attacked by the og of Bashan mm. that whole thing like it's just you it's a journey where you move from desperation and feeling of attack and nearness to death and then when we come out the other side there's all this victory language that of you know let the ends of the earth pay heed and turn to the Lord all the nations prostrate themselves before you for yours is the kingdom and he is the one ruling among the nations and that all will bow down to him the Lord's fame shall be proclaimed from generations to come they shall tell of his deliverance like it's just it's so hopeful so we move from desperation at the very beginning but it ends with victory and hope and because God has acted God has shown up. God has not forsaken. Mm-hmm. Like that's the ultimate message. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I take, I take issue with the idea that Jesus was abandoned, forsaken, and that this indicates that. <laughs> yes. Agreed. But I, but I understand, believe, appreciate the, what's going, also what's happening. Jesus feels is by all you know external measures abandoned. Yeah, I mean, most of his friends are hiding. I love that it's Nicodemus is one of the ones at the end here, right? So the one who starts in John three, being coming to Jesus at night and like on the down low, and we we you know we give him a hard time for that. Like, come on, you know, like, but we see just this slow development of who Nicodemus is. And then at the end, he's there asking for the body while the rest of them are hiding. Yeah. I have this um, this new picture of Jesus on the cross and that he says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's, I mean, he's suffering and he's dying and struggling for breath. So he can't recite the whole thing. Mm. But I picture this, the whole of this psalm running through his head and his mind as he's hanging there dying. And then his final words are the final words of the psalm, essentially. Like, it's not exactly, but it is finished, or for he has acted. It's done. For it is done. Like, it, when you when you take Psalm 22 into account yeah. and have this image of him, maybe he's going through the psalm in his heart. Because he can't, he physically can't say all the words. But he says the beginning, and he says the end. Um, you just blew my mind. Why doesn't he say all the words? Right? There's all these really yeah possible. There's all these possibilities, but the maybe the most likely one is he can't. Yeah. <laughs> this is all he can get out. Right. Are these words? Oh my gosh. I think we sometimes have this cleaned up version of Jesus's death on the cross because we don't want to picture the brutality of it, which is where, I mean, I don't know how everyone feels about the Passion movie, but I think that movie was so important to actually show the brutality of what our, our Jesus went through. Yeah. It, I never saw it. You have never seen it. It's It's brutal, but I think it's important because... It's easy for us to just have this, you know, whitewashed version of Jesus hanging on the cross and knowing the victory and we can forget how how brutal 
Roman execution on a cross was. Yeah, I mean, this was hours-long torture, right? Yeah. It's, you're dying from... Yeah. And I'm not saying show this to your children, but I think that, you know, they're... I, I see the value in us actually immersing ourselves in that pain right. and and actually letting it sink in how much he suffered and what he was willing to go through in order to defeat death because yes he's God and that probably mentally helped a lot in the moment but he was also human right hmm. cross over cross over you have died you're hidden with Christ cross over cross over you have died you're hidden with Christ you From strength to strength, the valley of tears is the wellspring of life. Cross over, cross over, you have died, you're hidden with Christ. Cross over, cross over, you have died, you're hidden with Christ. You will walk from strength to strength. The of tears is the wellspring of life cross over cross over you have died you're hidden with Christ cross over cross over you have died you're hidden with Christ.